With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Monday, October 4th, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. That's a virtual privacy network which allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix or anything you happen to be geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe. LibertyShield.com. Use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. There is also a 48-hour free trial that you can try, no questions asked. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Just download the Etsy app to your phone and search EPL Index or Anfield Index, and there's loads of good merch there. Right, folks. Strange weekend. Strange weekend in the Premier League. Um, it began in strange fashion when Manchester United played Everton at Old Trafford. Everton missing Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison, forced to play Rondon up front, no Seamus Coleman, forced to play Ben Godfrey at right back, very much under strength. And you would think United, knowing that Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison aren't going to be in the team, they'll view this game as a game to win. And they'll go full strength and they'll go for a win. But instead, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer plays around with his team, leaves Cristiano on the bench, leaves Paul Pogba on the bench, and United turn in a very, very flat performance. Now, they did go 1-0 up through Anthony Martial, um, in the first half, a really well-worked goal. Lovely ball from Greenwood to Fernandez. Great touch. Feeds Ra- uh, Martial coming in from the left. It's a good shot. We'll never know if it would have gone in or not without the deflection, but it takes a big deflection off Ben Godfrey and Jordan Pickford is left flailing at the air. That should have been 2-0 because Martial had missed a good-headed chance earlier in the first half, but seemed to be trying to win a penalty, which was bizarre. Maybe he's been hanging around with Bruno Fernandes too much. In the second half, I thought Everton played really well, and Andros Townsend made it 1-1, finishing off an excellent counter-attacking move. Damari Gray started it, out-muscled Fred, carried the ball, found Dukure, who drove forward, 
Dekure had an exceptional game here. Dekure and Alan really bossed the midfield in this game, made McTominay and Fred look very, very poor. He slipped in Andros Townsend, cutting in from the, the right. First time touch, perfect, gets it out of his feet. And a great finish pass to Gea. De Gea had made a good save earlier in the game to deny Damari Gray. But other than that, he hadn't been really troubled. I think this was only the second shot Everton had had on target. But they had been getting more possession, getting more of a foothold, getting into dangerous positions. And truthfully, they should have won it late on. Tom Davies found himself through. But he hesitated. And... I don't think Everton have done a very good job developing Tom Davies. I think he's a talented player who could really do with a move to kickstart his career. He looks completely shorn of confidence. He goes through one-on-one. He's been in that position before, and he has scored before. This time, he delayed his shot, and then he tried to slip the ball sideways to Yeri Mina. Unfortunately, because of the delay, Mina had strayed offside, and as he tapped the ball into the net and then went and had a dance, he was offside and the goal was ruled out. 1-1, United left feeling quite fortunate. Everton left feeling like maybe they left points on the table. Both sides have 14 points now from their seven games played. United sit fourth. Everton sit fifth. Everton will be very, very happy with their start to the season. Compared to expectations considering they have a manager that a lot of the fans didn't originally want, and considering how poor they were for large stretches last season, I think this is a great start for them. They didn't spend any money of note in the summer. Damari Gray for $1.5 the only player they paid money for. They got Townsend on a free. They got Rondon on a free. They got Begovic on a free. Begovic hasn't been good, but Rondon held the ball up and fought well yesterday. Townsend has been excellent, but Damari Gray is maybe the steal of the summer. He has been a breath of fresh air in that team. His willingness to carry the ball, the bravery that he plays with, is is really good to see. And when Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison come back into the team, Everton will benefit massively. And that front four, if they play Richarlison off the left, Townsend off the right, and Gray behind Calvert-Lewin, with Alan and Dukure as a double pivot in midfield, that's very, very strong. That is very, very strong. I think Mina and Godfrey at centre-back is more than good enough. Dini is an excellent left-back. The right-back position is a bit problematic. It's something that I think Rafa will want to address in January if there's the funds to do it. Um, Mason Holgate is a good option there, but he is naturally a centre-back. Godfrey has been playing there. He's a centre-back. John Joe Kenny doesn't seem to be of the level they would like him to be. And obviously Seamus Coleman is now past his best and on the decline. But if they could add a right-back in January, you never know. Rafa could be, could be on the verge of bringing them back into Europe. They could be that close. There's a lot of teams that started the season well, though. So you don't want to get too ahead of yourself. But... Rafa's a really good manager, and he's doing a really good job there so far. Oli came under more pressure after the game. Now, there are reports that United are not even considering looking for a replacement, but this is a run of bad results for them. 
bad performances, more importantly. I mean, you even look at the win in, in midweek over Villarreal. They were dreadful. They were poor yesterday. They were poor against Villa. They were dreadful against West Ham in the Cup. They were poor against West Ham in the league. And even with the couple of wins in those games, you do have to wonder, is it luck? Is it individual talent saving the manager? Is it him? Is it Ollie making changes? I think it's more the first two than the third one. But for now, he remains United manager. They're fourth in the league, and he will point to the fact that they're only one point behind Liverpool in second and two behind Chelsea on top of the league, and he'll say they're title contenders. But does anyone who's watched United play any game this season outside of Leeds on the opening day look at this team and say, that's a team that's going to win the title? They have problems at right back. They have problems in midfield. They don't really have any cohesion up front. There's not a lot of off-ball work. They don't press particularly well. Cristiano, with 2.4 pressures per game, is the laziest off-ball forward in the league. And that's a little bit concerning, considering how many teams now play out from the back. If you're not able to turn the ball over high up the field, your midfield starts to come under a lot of pressure. And when your midfield is McTominay and Fred, or one of those two and Pogba, it's just not ideal. And that's when your defence starts to really feel the heat. And they've they've got a centre-back pairing that are still getting to know each other. Obviously, Maguire missed the game at the weekend. Varane and Lindelof are new together. But again, learning to play together, the same as Varane and Maguire are learning to play together. Just because they're good players doesn't mean they automatically fit. They have to get reps. They have to get matches under their belt together, get to know the habits of each other, the nuances of each other's game. Those things take time. Very rare you'll get a defender walk in and immediately just click with the guy next to him. Doesn't happen very often at all. You look at, say, City this season, best defence in the league thus far, three goals conceded. Last season when Diaz arrived, Diaz and Laporte just didn't click. Now, part of that was Laporte was out of form and he was struggling with an injury. But Diaz and Stones work better, whereas this season, Diaz and Laporte looks really good together. And that's because they've had that time to mesh, get to know each other, understand each other's game. And now, I think this is absolutely the pairing that Pep always had in mind when he brought Ruben Diaz. For for United, it, it's going to take time for, for Varane and either Maguire or Lindelof, whoever's next to him. It'll be Maguire once he's fit, but for now it's Lindelof. It'll take time for them to get into a real groove, into the type of pairing that can maybe be the basis for a title-winning team. But United have question marks in that central midfield, and the more that midfield lets them down and the more extra work that that defence has to do, the longer it's going to take for them to become settled. Because when they're firefighting, they're des- they're defending with desperation, and that's not what you want. You want them in a calm situation so that they can get to know each other. 
Uh, we'll move on from that game. A good result for Everton, a bad result for United, especially considering Everton's absentees. Chelsea 3, Southampton 1. Trevo Chalaba with the goal on nine minutes. is the simplest goal he'll ever score in his life. His second of the season, though, he's one that's rewarding the faith of Thomas Tuchel. He's had a bunch of loans prior to Tuchel arriving. He certainly was was not seen on the same level as, say, Guehi and Tamori when the three of them were in the academy together. But he's the one who's been kept and he's playing really, really well. Uh, got himself a goal yesterday to put Chelsea 1-0 up. Interesting to see Tuchel start Ruben Loftus-Cheek in midfield for this one. Loftus-Cheek has worked his way back into the plans and is being rewarded for his hard work and training. But Chelsea weren't impressive. Timo Werner had a goal disallowed um, for a foul by Aspilicueta in the build-up. It was the 16th goal that Werner's had disallowed in the Premier League and or Champions League since joining Chelsea. The 16th time that VAR has said, no, you can't have that one. That's the most of any player. You just have to kind of feel bad for him at this point because only so much of it can be down to him. There's just a big element of it is bad luck. Like that one yesterday, he does everything right. It's just that Aspilicueta is ju- a, a judge to have fouled Kyle Walker-Peters. James Ward-Prowse made it 1-1 on 61 minutes. Tino Livermento, formerly of Chelsea, drives into the box, gets fouled by Ben Chilwell. Foolish foul. And when Chilwell does things like that, you see why Tuchel doesn't always trust him. James Ward-Prowse steps up. It's not the best penalty in the world, but he sends the keeper the wrong way. And it's 1-1. And Chelsea looked... They looked like they were struggling. They looked flat. They looked like they didn't have any real ideas on how they were going to break this defence down. They were struggling to progress the ball through midfield for one reason or another. And then James Ward-Prowse does something really, really stupid. There's absolutely no reason for him to even press Jorginho in that space, on the edge of his own box. No reason at all to commit to that press. Because if he plays around you, which he's going to do, you are now out of position and out of the play, and Chelsea are going to be moving up the field with a man advantage. He doesn't just press him, he throws himself into a tackle. It's reckless, it's late, and it's a straight red card. Initially given as a yellow card, VAO review, the referee looks at the screen, makes the decision, Cancels the yellow, gives him a red, and there's absolutely no way he can complain. No way at all that he can complain. And as captain, he has let his team down. Chelsea would go on to win the game. Timo Werner on 84 with a tap-in. Celebrated as if he'd scored from 40 yards. And you can understand why, having had 16 goals disallowed by VAR. Uh, And then Ben Chilwell made it three after a bit of a mad time in the Southampton box where Chelsea hit the crossbar twice and then the ball fell to Chilwell at a weird angle. It's a great shot. Kind of feel like Alex McCarthy in goal should do better. It does look like he saves it. The ball did cross the line and Chelsea are given a 3-1 lead. That doesn't really reflect how the game went because Chelsea didn't play well. Chelsea deserved to win the game 
no question they had 62% of the ball, they had 20 shots, 9 on target, absolutely deserved to win the game. But 3-1 just felt like a stretch. And if Ward-Prowse doesn't get sent off, maybe they don't win at all. It must be said, Southampton defensively have really picked up in recent weeks. And Salisu is playing very, very well. And I think all their fans are now very happy that the club made the decision to sell Vestergaard and promote him. And the partnership with him and Bednarak is going really well. I would like to see Walker-Peters back at right back with Livermento playing as the right winger. I'd like to see Perot, who's a good player, brought in at left back behind whichever left left winger they're going to play. Then they've got those two holding midfielders. I think then they can look at using either El Yanassi or Janipo or Walcott as an option up front alongside Armstrong. It was Nathan Redmond who started this weekend. He didn't play well. But Southampton, the results aren't going their way, but the performances are improving. And that's important. They're 17th at the moment, four points from their seven games. They haven't won a game yet, which is of concern, of course. But the performances, I think, are improving a little bit. It's a gradual process. It'll take time. They've got a lot of young players, particularly in that defensive area. And they are light in certain places, but Ralph is a good manager and he will get results. For Chelsea, they go top of the table uh, after the defeat by City and then their rather flat performance in the Champions League in the week. I think they'll be very, very happy with this win. Um, They're a point ahead ahead of Liverpool, two points ahead of City, United, Everton and Brighton. And while they didn't look good against City, those who wrote them off as title contenders, you're really jumping the gun on that one. Every team is going to have a bad game. And we'll talk about Liverpool in in a bit. But they had a dreadful first half yesterday that was every bit as bad as Chelsea's performance last week, if not worse. So to write Chelsea off based on last week was just, it was just a bit silly. And it was just a bit premature. They didn't look great in this game, but they kept going and they ground out that result. And that's all they need to do. They have the talent, they have the firepower where they will eventually break teams down. They may not do it with guile, they may do it more with brute force and with persistence, but they will break teams down. There's going to be very few teams in the league that are going to be able to stop them from scoring over 90 minutes. When you've got Lukaku, you've got Werner, you've got Mount, you've got Havertz, you've got hudson Doy, even Zayic, I know he hasn't done well since joining Chelsea, but the guy's still capable of changing a game. There's too much talent there for them not to score goals. So I, I think people just need to give Chelsea a little bit more credit. They're the defending European champions for a reason. They are a good team. They added one of the best number nines in the world. Dismiss them. And I think you'll feel sorry at the end of the season. That's that's where I am with them. I still think I still think they'll win the league. They're my they're my pick to win the ta- win the title right now. Uh Wolves two, Newcastle one. Interesting comments from Steve Bruce 
after the game about how Newcastle are trying to develop a style of playing or find their style, I think he said, and find balance. Uh, what's interesting is a year ago, after playing Wolves, Steve Bruce said the exact same things. You just wonder if you're two and a bit years into the job as he is now, how are you still trying to find your style? How are you trying to find balance? It's not like he took over this past summer. This past summer marked two years since he replaced Rafa Benitez. Uh, Huang He Chan put Wolves one nil up. Really good work from Raul Jimenez. Really good ball into his path, into Chan's path or Huang's path. And um, a great finish. Cousin Jeff, the cuz, made it 1-1. I don't know what Jose Sa was doing. He came out for the ball, seemed to have a bit of a collision, lay on the floor, realized the game wasn't being stopped, got up, ran back to goal. And as he ran from, as Jeff Hendrick looked at it, as the keeper ran from his left to his right, Jeff just put it in the bottom left-hand corner, really well-struck shot. Um, against the run of play I would have thought at the time but Newcastle were just so poor in this game Alan St. Maxim had some moments because he always does and he made a couple of the Wolves defenders look quite poor at times but they just look so blunt they just look like a little bit clueless Bruce went with a 4-1-4-1 and then changed it to a back five because he didn't like how it was going. The back five doesn't work for them. And when you're playing Javi Manquillo as a wing back at times, it just it's never going to work for you. It's absolutely never going to work for you. Just flat out disappointed in in Newcastle. And it was no surprise when Huang made it 2-1 Again, it's great work from Jimenez. Again, he slides the ball in. And Wang, great left-footed finish this time across the goalkeeper, uh, Carl Darlow, and into the bottom corner. Trinkio should have had already made it two. He hit the crossbar from a great chance. That Wolves front three, they looked inventive. They looked lively. They played with purpose. This was not a great performance by any means, but the fact that with only eight shots they managed to score two goals is a massive step forward for them. When you consider they were having 16 and 17 shots in games earlier in the season and not scoring. So for Wolves, this is their third win of the season. Brings them to nine points. Brings them up to 12th in the table. Three wins out of the last four. So after that worrying start where they lost the first three, they have turned things around a little bit. Now, they're playing, they've been playing games that you'd expect them to win. But at the same time, this league is unpredictable and their form has been very unpredictable. So maybe ex- expecting anything from them is a bit much. It was great signs from Jimenez this weekend, though. Like he really looked like himself again, bustly, strong, great ability to drop off, pick the ball up, and then turn and go. And he's not a quick player, but he has speed of thought. And when he makes that turn to go, he can accelerate over the first couple of yards and absorb that contact. Like oftentimes you see a striker turn on the ball and go to move away, and a midfielder will will shoulder charge him. 
and the striker's on the floor, he's rolling around, he's crying for free kicks. Jimenez can either absorb that contact or he can just give it right back because he is very, very strong. Really, really good signs from him, though. If he keeps playing like this, Wolves will be absolutely fine. They'll be absolutely fine. I thought Neves had a pretty good game in midfield for them as well. I do obviously have concerns over the defence and the goalkeeper is not very good, but they've got enough quality in midfield and attack. They've still got Pedro Neto to come back at some point as well, and he will add a massive amount to that team. But like this was a performance with Adama sitting on the bench. He came on in the game, but they didn't need to start him, and that's promising for them as well. You know, they've got Pedence to come into this team as an option. There's, there's a lot of talent in this Wolves attack. And if Bruno Lage can harness it, they'll be fine. They'll be mid-table, lower mid-table, and, and nobody will be too concerned about them. There should be enough teams worse than them in the league this season for them to survive, even if they do have a couple of blips during the season. But they've got a good manager. I think it's obviously small sample size, but people are overlooking what he did in that season at Benfica where they were absolutely brilliant. And focusing too much on the fact that he got sacked, ignoring the fact that Benfica sacked pretty much everybody. That's the culture in Portuguese football, as it is in Italian football and Spanish football, is that managers come and go. You you don't get managers like an Alex Ferguson or a Sean Dyche. You get managers that come in, and three years is a long time at a club. You'll see managers in in Italy and Portugal and Spain who are in their late 40s and have managed like 12 clubs. And they won't be dreadful managers. Like in England, you see managers that have managed a lot of clubs and they're largely dreadful managers who should never get another job, but continue to do so because, you know, jobs for the boys. But these are decent managers who just come in, do a job for a year, and then they move on. Because they fall out with somebody or the club decides to go a different direction or they get a better offer. Whatever it is, it's a lot more sh- short term in Europe, and that's from manager and club. So Bruno Lage getting sacked by Benfica is not some big indictment on him. It's just the lay of the land there. Uh, Burnley nil, Norwich nil in, in rather a stinker of a game. Game highlighted by Dwight McNeil missing a sitter, which was unfortunate for him. And Ozan Kabak just deciding to go on an adventure and beating about four Norwich players he charged up the field um, before winning a free kick on the edge of the of the Burnley box. I thought Matthias Norman had a particularly good game in midfield for Norwich. He just looked really busy, industrious, strong in the tackle, quality on the ball, not just his passing, but his ability to carry the ball as well. Had a couple of good shots in the game. All things considered, a, a rather dull affair, and I think it's a concerning one for Burnley, who sit 18th, um, yet to win three draws from seven against four defeats. Now, they started last season badly as well, but Dyche can only work so many miracles, is my concern here. Now, again, I think there's a couple of teams above them who could well drop. I think Watford are one. We'll come to them. Southampton, I, I, I really like Ralph, but I do have big concerns about them. Um, Leeds got their first week win this weekend, and we'll come to that. But 
I think Burnley have more mental fortitude to stay in the division than Leeds. And if it came down to a scrap between the two, though Leeds have a lot more talent. And Bielsa is one of the few managers in the league I, I think is better than, than Dyche. I do think Dyche's style of football is more conducive to a relegation scrap than Bielsa's. So if it did come down to the two of them, I think my money would be on Burnley to stay up. For Norwich, look, I, I, I said I thought they'd been too dogmatic in their approach. They've changed things and gone to a back three recently. It hasn't solved the problems. I think one of the problems is they're still insisting on playing Grant Hanley, who I just don't think can play in this division. I think they need to either consider going back to a back four, if they're going to stick to a back three, play Quebec as the middle one and drop Hanley. He's too slow. He's, he lumbers too much. I understand he's a good leader. But leadership can only get you so far. Bournemouth went down in large part because they insisted on keeping Steve Cook in their team year after year, despite it being blatantly obvious the guy could not play in the Premier League. He just was not good enough. And Norwich are doing the same thing. Leeds are doing the same thing with Liam Cooper. Those are championship-level defenders who are not good enough for this division. They will have good games here and there. That's fine. But over a, over a season, over 38 games, they will cost you more points than they gain you. And when that's happening, you're going to go down. Norwich stay bottom, but this is their first point, so they can at least be happy about that. One point from seven. Not great. Not great at all. They are on the Sheffield United path from last season as things stand. But as long as the gap doesn't get too big, they'll still be in with a fighting chance. They are only three points off Southampton. They're lucky that there are three other teams that haven't won a game yet. So one get one win can turn things around. But they don't look like winning a game at the moment. And that's that's concerning. They just don't look like winning a game at the moment. Now they've got Brighton at home next. And then they go to Chelsea. Neither of them are easy. Then they get Leeds at home. That's not an easy one. Then they go to Brentford. So the next four games are tough for Norwich. They're going to have to pick up a couple of wins. One way or another, they're going to have to win a couple of those games. Brentford at home is a game they should be able to win. But Brentford are playing brilliantly and they've been dreadful. But last season, Norwich are better than Brentford. That said, last season, Norwich are better than Watford and they lost to Watford this year. Um, moving on then, last game before we take a break. Leeds won Watford nil. Leeds get their first win of the season and Bielsa will be very, very happy. This win moves them out of the bottom three. They're up to 16th in the table. They have six points. Watford stay one spot above them in 15th with seven points. Uh, Diego Loriente scored the only goal of the game. A tidy finish from a set piece. Watford looked all at sea defending set pieces and defending in general in this game. But Leeds looked so much better defensively. The difference Diego Loriente makes to this team is absolutely incredible. Without him, defensively, they're a shambles. With him, they're actually pretty decent defensively. 
they actually are pretty decent defensively. Leeds dominated the game and you kind of felt like if Bamford was playing, they would have won by two or three. Uh, Rodrigo played well, but he's not a number nine. He's, he's better off the striker. He's better wide. So they do miss that, you know, that presence of Bamford up front. And hopefully he'll be back after the international break. Uh, Rafinha looked lively. He looked bright. I thought we saw some decent things from Dan James, but he's still settling himself into Leeds. I, I think he's going to be a player for them, though. I think we'll see a lot more from him than we did at United because I think they'll they'll simplify his game a lot more. Uh, for Watford, this was a flat performance. Their only real opportunity in the game, the only thing that, the only time they looked like scoring was when, is it Tufai, the Turkish midfielder, Tufan, found himself in the box, could have squared to Emmanuel Dennis, but decided to shoot. Melier had a largely quiet game, didn't have a whole lot to do in goal. And Watford reacted to this uh, game by sacking their manager, uh, Cisco Munez sacked, which is really unfortunate. Really unfortunate. Because it's not like he'd done a bad job. He'd done a really good job. He took over a team last season that was doing okay. You, you felt like Ivac was getting them in the right direction, having gone down. And he gets sacked. And it was a really surprise sacking at the time. Cisco takes over on the 20th of December and leads them to automatic promotion. You're like, that's an incredible job. He did an incredible job keeping them up. We're only seven games into this season. They're 15th. They've won a couple of games. They've gotten a draw. And they've sacked him. Now, this is their way. They are very much run like an Italian club. Obviously, they've got Italian owners. And they have that short-term approach when it comes to managers. That they will sack... They'll hire someone and sack them within three months. They don't care. I assume when they hire managers, they put language in the contract that means that they have an out, that they don't pay huge amounts of compensation. That would be my assumption. I could be wrong because if they're paying compensation to all these managers, it must be costing them a fortune. But Cisco won 58% of his games, 36 games in charge, 21 wins, four draws, 11 defeats, scored 49, conceded 29. I'm not really sure what more you could have expected them to do. It's not like you went out and had a great summer. Like, it's not like you've so- you solved your defensive issues. Have you seen the defenders that they're putting out? They are championship quality at best. And they're 15th. I could understand that if, if they were Norwich, if they were where Norwich are, one point from seven, conceded a lot of goals, had a really good summer, actually got a lot of good players in. You know, if, if Norwich turned around and sacked Daniel Farka, I think it was harsh. But I could kind of wrap my head around why they'd do it. I I don't understand why they've done this. And to compound it, it looks like they're going to appoint Claudio Ranieri. Now, the last time we saw Claudio in England, he was managing Fulham. 
Um, he was brought in to replace Jokanovic. The season they came up and spent loads of money on bad players. Um, I think Zambo's about the only good player they bought. They brought John Michel Seri, who's playing for them now, eventually, and doing quite well. But they they sacked Jokanovic. They brought in Claudio. And um, he took over on November the 14th. Managed them for 17 games. Won three of them. Lost 11. Conceded 34 goals while scoring only 16. And uh, got the sack. His job following that, Roma took him on as a caretaker manager. He did okay. He was less than stellar at Sampdoria. I don't understand how this man keeps getting keeps getting jobs. I really don't. I've never really rated Claudio Ranieri as a manager. I know he won the title with um, with Leicester, but you know he got sacked not long after. Um, I think he's a spoofer, and I don't understand why. If you're Watford, he's the one you go to. We saw what happened with Fulham. I, look, if you want to make a change and you want to get a manager in who can keep you in the division, no problem. He's not that guy. I don't think he is anyway. Like, why wouldn't you go for Sam? Why wouldn't you go for Hodgson? They'll keep you in the division. If that's all you want, they will keep you in the division. And they'll do it in a short-term contract. Hodgson will happily take over to the end of the season. So would Sam. And that would allow you to then, you know, scour the backwaters of Europe and find your next manager. What I said this in the summer. I don't know what to make of Watford. Didn't know what to make of them at all last season. Because them coming up made no real sense. What they did in the summer was strange. They're the, they're the weirdest club in England. They're the most un-English club going. Which is strange considering, you know, their history. Um, but they're such a strange club. Look, it works for some clubs. Chelsea do a similar thing. Chelsea are very short term with the managers and chopping and changing has worked for them. It worked for Watford when they were in the division for a number of years. They chopped and changed and managed to keep themselves up. But I don't know. It's a strange one to me. I think it's premature to sack him. And I think I think Claudio Ranieri is a bad appointment. But we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. They've got Liverpool in the first game after the international break. So Claudio best be ready. Uh, we'll take a break. And when we come back, we'll run through the other five games of the weekend. See you in a minute. Right, welcome back. So, uh, moving on to Saturday evening, Brighton nil, Arsenal nil, in a fairly boring game. Um, I said after Arsenal beat Spurs 3-1, that even though there was a lot of really good stuff from Arsenal, there was some concerning stuff. And the Spurs could easily have gotten a draw that they didn't deserve in the game. Um, I think that's been 
it's been proven from by based on this game that that three one had a lot more to do with how bad Spurs were than how good Arsenal were, because Arsenal were desperate here. Aaron Ramsdale is the only player that really comes away with much credit, although I thought Gabriel had a good game. Ben White looked a little bit all over the place. Tommy Asu had his worst game in an Arsenal shirt, which maybe is is linked to the White performance. Uh, Thomas Partey was poor. Lukonga couldn't really get control of the game in midfield. And this was up against the Brighton midfield, missing Basuma and Mwepu. And Arsenal couldn't get any real control in midfield. Lewis Dunk should have won the game for Brighton. He had a great opportunity in the first half. Should have won the game for them. But it was a a fairly turgid game of football. I thought this was going to be a really good game. I, I think Potter's tactics, to be fair, worked out very well. And without question, Brighton dominated the first half. And in the first, to be fair, they played decent football in the first half. The second half, though, was largely turgid stuff from both teams. Um, Arsenal are 11th, 10 points. Negative five goal differential. I'm not sure how anybody could be happy with where they're going and where they are. I've seen a lot of Arsenal fans getting very defensive because some people suggested maybe Arsenal would be better off with Graham Potter in charge. Not really sure how you could disagree. If I'm being honest, I'm not really sure how you could disagree with that. Graham Potter is a better manager than Mikel Arteta. He just is. Brighton are sixth in the league. Only the one defeat so far. Level and points with Everton, United and City. If you'd given them this to start the season, they'd have snapped your hands off. Uh, they will be thrilled with how things are going. This is the ideal start of the season. You just, every time you watch them play, you wish they'd bought a number nine who'd get them goals. And when you see Arsenal with Aubameyang starting Lacazette, Balogun, and Ketty, you just think if they had one of those, if Brighton had one of them to play up front, they'd, they'd score quite a few goals because they create a ton of chances Defensively, similar to Chelsea, the system is the star. Now, that defense is going to be tested a little when Lamptey comes back in. But again, Lamptey wasn't wasn't in the team for this game. He's on the bench. But they'll bring Lamptey back in. They'll bring Basuma back in. They'll bring Mwepu back in. And this Brighton team will not be a pushover. Wouldn't love the individual defenders, though, when Webster comes back in. And again, Webster was out. When Webster comes back in, that does improve it, and Dunk is good. You'd like another defender to go with those two. You'd like one more in attack, that striker. Because if you had a nine with Mope and Trossard either side, Lamptey, Basuma, Mwepu, and Cucurella as midfielders, and then A, another centre-back, Dunk and Webster, that's a really strong eleven. Really, really strong 11. Not sure on the goalkeeper, but it is what it is. Great start to the season. They'll be thrilled. They will absolutely be thrilled, and they should be. Uh, On to Sunday. Four games. Four very different games as well. Uh, Tottenham 2, Villa 1. Not the most exciting of games, but 
couple of things that stood out. Harry Kane actually caring was nice to see. Actually working hard, getting involved in what his team was doing. Uh, really good to see. Pierre-Emile Heusberg and Oliver Skip is quite a formidable pairing in the centre of midfield for Spurs. Um, as far as Villa go, this back three works okay with two and Zabi, but it does not work particularly well with Courtney House. Uh, and Tyron Ming is still a mess. Um, Spurs went 1-0 up. Pierre-Emile Heuber? I, I, I heard the pronunciation of his name of the weekend, and it was different to anything I'd ever heard before. Either way, you know who I mean. He put them one up on 27. Ollie Watkins made it 1-1 on 67. I do wonder if he doesn't score if Christian Romero finds himself in a bit of trouble because there's a bad Romero challenge, I think, on Ramsey, about 35 yards from goal. Um, Villa go and score, but I wonder if he doesn't, if Watkins doesn't score, if maybe Romero finds himself in trouble. Romero played very well in this game despite being weighed down by the presence of Eric Dyer, who was just appalling throughout. Uh, Emerson Real played really well at right back, as did Matty Cash. Again, Matty Cash likes playing this wing-back role. It seems to suit him. The problem is, for Villa, they're not getting Buendia on the pitch to start games by playing this shape, unless they play him ahead of Louise and McGinn. I don't know if he's going to stick with this. I don't know if he'll move back to a 4-4-2. He's obviously got Leon Bailey, Dean Smith, that is. He's got Leon Bailey to come back in. He's got Buendia to come into this team. They spent a lot of money on those two. You'd imagine both are going to be starters. So those two, Ings and Watkins, it really has to be 4-4-2, doesn't it? And look, they just they got outplayed in this game. There's There's a simple case of Tottenham having more talent than Villa which is the case they just do um, Villa have the better goalkeeper but you know Romero is the best centre back on the pitch Conza is next Regulon is the best left back I'd say Emerson and Cash are a better tie but you know you look at that front four for Spurs Kane Endombele Son Lucas all of them start for Villa all of them. Ings doesn't start for Spurs. Ramsey doesn't start for Spurs. Watkins might. He might start him wide over Lucas Mora, maybe. But Youngman's son made the winner. Great run down the left. Crossed the ball. Son, uh, Mora's coming in. Matt Target gets to him first. Kenny goes in off both of them. It's been given as an own goal. But either way, I thought Spurs deserved the win. I, I do think this was a much better performance from them after the shambles against Arsenal, just after how poor they've been the last three weeks in general. Um, interesting article from David Ornstein this morning, which states that Spurs can sack Nuno after this season if they don't get top six and not pay him any compensation. So obviously, it's Europe or bust, uh, Europe or bust for him. I think they might look to move on anyway, and it wouldn't surprise me if he if he didn't last the season. After what we saw the last three weeks, I just don't know that you would necessarily be married to him long term. And by long term, I mean the season. I'm not even talking beyond that. 
I think Spurs are going to take it month by month. Paratici's probably keeping in touch with certain agents and certain managers. And uh, if Nuno, if things go bad under Nuno, I think they'll move again. Spurs are eighth in the table, 12 points, somehow only four points off top despite the three defeats. It shows how tight everything has been. Villa are 10th, three defeats for them now in the league as well, which they won't be overly thrilled about. And, you know, having beaten United away last weekend, you were kind of hoping for more from them this weekend, but it wasn't to be. Um, Leicester 2, Crystal Palace 2 at Selhurst Park. Palace absolutely dominated the first 25, 30 minutes of this game. But Joachim Anderson had a loose touch. And the ball broke away from him. And Kelechi Iheanacho went through and scored. Leicester doubled their lead on 37 minutes. Jamie Vardy. Good work by Thielemans and Harvey Barnes. And a good finish by Vardy. And it was 2-0 completely against the run of play. Completely against how how the game had gone. You thought... Leicester will see this out. They have to see this out. Surely they see this out. And then they couldn't see it out. They couldn't see it out at all. Uh, credit to Patrick Vieira. He brought Michael Elise and Jeff Schlupp off the bench. And both of them scored. Elise gets his first Premier League goal. Great half volley. Schlupp's is a little bit of a scruffy one. There's a ball into the box. He has a half shot. It skews off his foot. Bounces around off a few different players. Post him again and he scores. And credit to him. He just kept going and going trying to get his chance. He almost got a winner. A really good Michael Elise cross from a corner. And Schlupp was the man who rose and met it. Just sent it over the bar. Palace deserved to win this game. Leicester were good in this game for about eight minutes. And aside from that, they were largely dreadful. And he's going to be out for a few months. That's a big blow to them. but. It was, a, it was a strong team. Castanier, Sionchu, Vestergaard, Bertrand. I mean, there's a you know three-quarters Brendan Rodgers defence. And what he's done here is he's moved Sionchu from his left-sided spot to his right-sided spot, or to the right-sided spot, where he's not that comfortable. But that's a Brendan Rodgers defence. And Eduard hit the crossbar. Palace just looked far, the far more dangerous team. Cut them open a couple of times. Disappointing for Palace not to win the game, but they'll be thrilled with the point given that they went 2-0 behind. I I think Vieira is actually showing quite a bit, and I think this Palace team, they're impressive so far. They've got seven points. They've only won once, but they've only lost twice. They've scored eight, conceded 11, 14th in the league. I think they've got to be happy. Considering how young they are, how many new players they've brought in, new manager, new style of football. I think and it, like, It's not just a new style of football. It's the drastic departure from the Hodgson era stuff. Like it, it's a complete 180. So I think they have to be happy with how things are going. Uh, Leicester, one point ahead of them in 13th place. Two wins, two draws, three defeats. They're not going to be happy, though. They had top four ambitions. They'd spent like a top four team this uh, this summer. 
Obviously should have got top four the last two years, but Brendan did Brendan things. I wouldn't be surprised if there starts to be talk of pressure building on him. Now, I saw John Percy in the Telegraph say this was their first slump. Well, I would suggest that collapsing at the end of the 2019-2020 season was a slump. I would suggest that collapsing at the end of last season was also a slump. This is slump number three for Brendan Rodgers. And this one might be more costly than the previous two. Uh, West Ham won Brentford two. Brentford, just, they are my new favourite team. Um, and Bournemouth put them one up. Brilliant work from Ivan Tony. Put Sergi Canos through. It's a good good save from Fabianski. And Bournemouth follows up. It looks like Fabianski actually makes a double save, but the ball did cross the line. The goal is given, and Brentford go one up, and they deserve to be one up at that point. West Ham are really poor in the first half. Their only real shot of note was a Ben Rama shot from probably 19 yards that went wide. Uh, second half, I thought West Ham played better. You expect it from them. You expect them to be a team that will fight and grind. They've got a good level of quality. They've got a manager who instills the right mentality in them. They fought back, and Jared Bone, kind of a half volley from a set piece at the back post, really good finish, really tidy, and struck it really well, makes it 1-1. And that's the 80th minute. You think, right, that's it. That's a, that's a great point for Brentford. West Ham will be happy in the context of the game. They've gotten a point back. But Brentford just don't stop. They are just relentless. And they got their own set piece late in the game. It's a bit of a scramble in the box. The ball drops. And Johan Wizza, who obviously scored the late equaliser against Liverpool, pops up again. It's a brilliant kind of half volley. Flies into the net. And it's pandemonium among the Brentford fans. Just a brilliant result for them. A great performance. And off the back of how they played against Liverpool, how they played against Wolves, They've got to be thrilled. I mean, they're now seventh in the league. 12 points, three wins, three draws, just the one defeat. They are my West Ham of this season. Last season, I thought West Ham could go. This season, I thought they'd go. I'm going to be completely wrong about it, and I'm absolutely thrilled by it. Ivan Tony is a machine up front. Really good again on the weekend. And again, a different type of performance to what we saw against Liverpool, what we saw against Wolves. He's so well-rounded. Credit to West Ham, like I say. Fought back, got themselves into position to get a point. But Brentford just deserved the win. They they deserved the win over the balance of the game. And for that mentality, they deserve it. And I'm delighted for them. Up to seventh. And they get Chelsea next. That's going to be a tough game, obviously. But they won't stand on ceremony. They won't take a back step. And I'm really looking forward to seeing Ivan Tony against Thiago Silva. That's I really want to see that. It, I, now, maybe Silva's not going to play because he might be off with Brazil and then he might have to miss the first game back, which is a shame because I would have loved to see that one because I think he'd absolutely demolish him. I think old man Silva would really struggle with Ivan Tony at this point. Uh, final game of the weekend then. Liverpool 2, Manchester City 2. Um, I suppose the two title favourites in, in most eyes, or, or two of the three anyway. 
Uh, Liverpool, really poor first half. You know, um, you, you don't often see Liverpool outplayed at home in the way they were in the first half, but a combination of James Milner getting roasted at right back and Jordan Henderson turning in, frankly, quite disgraceful performance on the right side of midfield, just made it seem like they were playing with nine and a half men out there. And City just dominated the game. Should have been two up. Phil Foden, after brilliant work for Bernardo Silva, he beat Jordan Henderson about four times just by running in a circle. Uh, Beat a couple of other players, drifted through the defence, played the ball on for Foden. First touch takes him maybe a little wide. Alisson Beckard is brilliant. Need to come out and make a great save. It should have been 1-0. Foden goes through again in the left-hand side. Again, Milner's just all over the place. Again, Alison Becker made great intervention with a slide tackle, managed to get the ball away from Foden. That should have been two. They could have had a penalty, but it was probably more likely a free kick on the edge of the box. Again, it's Phil Foden. Again, James Milner's all over the place. Milner catches his heels. It's at the very least it's a free kick and a yellow card. As to how nothing's given, I don't know. But it is a blatant foul. Uh, Milner was booked shortly thereafter for another foul on Phil Foden. He just couldn't cope with him. Pep quit, played uh, Grealish as a false nine and Foden out wide. And Grealish was a complete non-factor in this game as he has been in most of his City games so far. Whereas Foden was brilliant, just endlessly running in behind, willing to work hard for the team, willing to take his chances. It's a great performance by the young man. Um, second half, Liverpool came out looking completely different and started brilliantly. And Mo Salah creates the first goal. It's a great ball by Fabinho that finds Salah in his own half, makes a fool of joke and say, oh, bears down on goal, slips in Sadio Mane, who comes across. Ruben Diaz doesn't see him at all. And it's 1-0 to Liverpool. On the balance, probably against the flow of the game, given City had been so much better first half. But at that time, Liverpool were the team in ascendancy and were on top. City fought back, and again, it's Phil Foden. Again, James Milner is way out of position. Foden with a great left-footed shot. Gives Alison Becker no chance. And then there's the moment of the match. Mo Salah picks the ball up on the edge of the box, surrounded by three players, leaves two of them sitting down, drifts past the other one, then beats Merrick Laporte. And then from a ridiculously tight angle on his weaker foot, perfect shot into the far corner, clips the post on its way in. It's a moment of genius. Gives Ederson absolutely no chance. It's one of the best goals you'll see all season. He was just on a different level to Chelsea or to to City this weekend. A different level to everybody. Nobody in the pitch could live with him. Bernardo Silva, for example, was brilliant. But he wasn't as good. Phil Foden was brilliant. He wasn't as good. It was just a sensational performance from Salah. City got back into the game. Kevin De Bruyne, left-footed shot, took a deflection off Joel Matip. Again, it's Phil Foden. And this time it wasn't James Milner. They'd had to haul him off because he should have been sent off for upending Bernardo Silva, who drifted by Jordan Henderson for the 400th time. Um, he should have been sent off. It was a second yellow card. He should have been sent off. 
The referee doesn't give it. He gives the free kick, doesn't give the yellow card. Pep Guardiola loses his mind and has a tantrum, and Liverpool scored their second goal shortly thereafter. So it did have a massive impact on the game. And um, I, I think City were rightly aggrieved. But Joe Gomez comes on, and he has to step into midfield because Jordan Henderson's gone walkabout. Captain Fantastic with his 3 out of 10 performance. Lots of shouting at other people. No doing his own job. Dreadful on the ball. Appalling off it. Lazy in his defensive work. Liverpool played with 10 men the whole game. Uh, Gomez having to cover from us what opened the space for Foden in the second goal. And it's a cutback for Andy for Kyle Walker, I think. Kyle Walker. Andy Robertson gets a half tackle block in, falls to Kevin De Bruyne, and it's it's 2-2. Uh, Liverpool could have won it late on. A Salah cross. Fabinho controls it, completely unmarked. Goal empty. And somehow, I don't know how, I don't know where he came from, Rodri appears with an incredible block. For the City fans who phoned over the Ruben Diaz block at Chelsea, that was not a patch on this. This is one of the best defensive actions you'll see all season. Phenomenal work from Rodri. Saved his team. Saved them. Otherwise, it was game over. But um, overall, City can feel a little bit aggrieved. They were the better team for more of the game. And James Miller should have been sent off. There's just no way around it. City can feel aggrieved. Liverpool will feel relieved. It's a better point for City than it is for Liverpool because it's City away. But again, as a, you know, from a Liverpool point of view, it's it's the champions. You you take a point. City are the best team in England. You take a point. Uh, Liverpool are second in the table. City are third. Liverpool are one point ahead of City and one point behind Chelsea. Chelsea proving that you're better off almost winning winning or losing and not having draws than you are with draws. Liverpool's third draw of the season, their second in succession. And, look, there's a, a part of the Liverpool fan base that look at it and say, well, they should have won having gone ahead twice. And there's an argument to be made there. But without Trent, it's a massive hole at right back. Without Thiago, there's no control in midfield. And with Henderson playing like that, there's a black hole in midfield. So you take what you're given. Um, that is basically it in terms of the 10 games. I thought, like I said, I thought Foden was, was brilliant. I thought Bernardo Silva was brilliant for City. Grealish was, was a nothing the whole game and got, got hauled off for Sterling, who didn't really offer too much when he came on. Did get through 1v1, but just couldn't seem to get moving. Did seem to have no pace at all when he went through um, and, got, and got easily caught up. Aside from that, I mean, De Bruyne kind of grew into the game. It wasn't his best performance. You can tell he's not fully fit. But aside from that, it was... City were good. They weren't great. Their defence couldn't cope with Salah. That's that's just a fact. And Ruben Diaz spent an awful lot of the game lying on the floor for no reason at all. Um, We'll wrap up with the gossip, because why not? Uh, Ivorian defender Serge Aurier, who is currently a free agent, is set to join Villarreal. So they'll have Aurier and Albi Moreno. Imagine the conversations between those two brains. Uh, Claudio Ranieri has agreed to become Watford's new manager. That's fine. Ed Woodward says the Old Trafford Club are committed to Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. 
whose side have won one of the last four games. Manchester City are watching Barcelona's 19-year-old midfielder, Nico Gonzalez. Um, I don't know why they would be. He, he He's not great. He, he's like Eric Garcia. He's not great. Sergio Roberto is another Barcelona player who City are keeping an eye on. I could see him joining as a squad player, for sure. Borussia Mönchengladbach's teenage German defender, Luca Netz, claims he rejected a nonsense tra- transfer to Manchester City three years ago and says he would turn them down again. Fair play obviously wants to play in his, and not just be said on loan endlessly. Uh, former Arsenal and Manchester United forward Alexis Sanchez faces an uncertain future at Inter Milan after the 32-year-old Chilean posted and subsequently deleted a social media post criticising his lack of playing time. Um, Unfortunately for Alexis, he was one of the best players in the Premier League and he made a move motivated purely by money when he joined Manchester United. So I have no sympathy for how his career has gone. You got paid, you made all the money because you took the money over, over playing. Simple as that. So, you know, enjoy your money. Count it. Maybe go play in Chile. Maybe go home. Maybe that's the move. If you want to stay in Europe, Portugal. But you're going to have to take a big pay cut. Simple as that. Go play port. Go play in Portugal. Maybe you could go and play in France for a, you know, a secondary team. A Montpellier. Someone like that. Become a bit of a talisman. You'd be an icon there. They'd love you. But other than that, stay home and count your money. Atletico Madrid are the latest club to enter the race for Timo Werner. Are we sure it's a race? Are we sure? A race? Really? Um, former Manchester United, sorry, Manchester City midfielder Yaya Toure has offered his services to the club as they continue to struggle, but it's unclear whether he wants to play or coach. Well, he can't play, so, you know, he probably wants to coach. Maybe he does want to play, but like like I said, he, he can't play anymore. Mike Ashley knows the only way to change Newcastle's head coach will be to pay up almost all of Steve Bruce's contract, which he agreed in July 2019, which is why Steve Bruce is going nowhere. Bayern Munich's Dutch forward Joshua Xerxes says he turned down a move to Everton three years ago, four years ago. Uh, fair play. Fiorentina director Joe Barone says the club are making enormous efforts to extend the contract of Dusan Vlavic, which runs out in June 2023. Fair play, they have to keep hold of him. They have no choice. Manchester City believe they hold the edge over rivals Liverpool, Manchester United, Chelsea and Bayern Munich in the race to sign Darwin Nunes. City could do with him. Liverpool could do with him. United don't need him. Chelsea don't need him. Bayern would need him if Lewandowski left, but otherwise they don't really, unless they want him to come in and be a backup. Uh, he's a very good player, and he's on in great form this season, so hopefully he maintains that form. Uh, Leeds, and England stri- or sorry, Leeds and England midfielder Calvin Phillips is keen to sign a new improved contract at Ellen Road. He still has two years to run on his current deal. Um, I like Calvin Phillips, but I, I do think, I do think he's coming to the point where he may have to consider moving on 
if he wants to play in the Champions League and test himself at that higher level. Now, I'm not saying Leeds can't get to that level, but I don't see them being a Champions League team in the next five years. I I just think there's too many good teams in the league for them to make that jump. Manchester United's Uruguayan forward Edinson Cavani could join Real Madrid in January. This is trash. Manchester United want of a final decision over Paul Pogba's future by Christmas. Best of luck telling me know that. Real Madrid have been offered a chance to sign him next summer. Well, he, I, I think that's where he probably does go. Uh, Bayern Munich are close to agreeing a new contract with Serge Gnabry. That's from the spoofer, so it may or may not be true. Paris Saint-Germain have reportedly thrown their hat in the ring to sign Erling Haaland. They're going to lose Mbappe. They'll want someone to replace him. I still think Haaland goes to to Real. Liverpool are planning a move for highly rated 17-year-old Kasper Kalowski from Pogan Session. They face competition from AC Milan, RB Leipzig and Red Bull Salzburg, who are all interested in the midfielder. He's meant to be very talented. I've never seen him play. Uh, Chelsea are interested in 17-year-old French striker Mohamed Ali Cho from Angers. The youngster played 21 times in Ligue 1 last season and is said to be one of the brightest prospects in French football. Don't go to Chelsea then. If if you're a bright prospect, don't go to Chelsea because going on loan 15 times won't be fun. Uh, Nahitin Nandez is set to leave Cagliari according to his agent. Well, he's not because it's October 4th and the transfer window is closed and won't be open till January. So he's not set to do anything. Uh, his agent is just talking to, for the sake of talking. I'd love to see him at Leeds, though. I'd love to see him at Leeds under Bielsa. He, he's mental. He's just as mental as Bielsa, and he'd be a great fit into their midfield. Uh, Kareem Benzema is adamant that Kylian Mbappe will join Real one day. Steve Bruce will be staying as manager of Newcastle as Mike Ashley's priority remains finding a buyer. He's still waiting for these Saudi, the, the, the appeal over the Saudi thing. He doesn't seem to be doing anything active to find other buyers. Uh, Real, sorry, West Ham, Everton and Arsenal are all keen to sign Real Betis forward Nabil Fakir. Uh, that sounds like his agent just throwing Premier League names out there. Real Madrid are considering a move for Yuri Tielemans. But his arrival could signal the departure of Casemiro. Makes no sense at all. They're completely different players, play different roles. Barcelona will look to... (laughs) Barcelona will look to bring Raheem Sterling to La Liga in the new year. No, they won't. Not a chance. Arsenal Arsenal are also keeping an eye yeah, he's not going there either. And that's it. That is the gossip. I think if Raheem leaves uh, Spurs, he should, I think he should go to City. Or not that, I think he should go to Spurs. If he leaves City, he should go to Spurs. Or if he leaves Spurs, he should, if he leaves Spurs, uh, City, he should go to Spurs in a Harry Kane deal. Raheem Sterling and cash for Harry Kane. If you want to play a front three... You, You'll get enough cash to buy a number nine. You go Sterling, that number nine, and Son up front. You'll have absolutely an an elite front three. You get a good enough striker in that'll get you 18 to 20 goals a season 
Raheem will get you 18 to 20. Son will get you 18 to 20, and you'll be tremendous. You've got the midfield talent. You need a centre-back, but that's what they should do. And Raheem should want that move as well, I think, because he'd be a star at Spurs. Uh, that is it for today, folks. I don't know how long it's been, but it feels like it's been pretty long. So I'll leave you there. Enjoy the rest of your days, and I will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.